Today on the Matt Walsh Show, big tech has begun banning accounts who they say are inciting violence against medical clinics that butcher and castrate children. But if criticism is incitement, then aren't we, as conservatives, victims of it also? Or is that not how it works? Plus, public health authorities finally admit that monkeypox is a sexually transmitted disease. This raises some extremely disturbing questions about the pets and children that have contracted it. Also, Mike Pence calls on conservatives to stop attacking the FBI. He's missing the point, and I'll explain why. Pediatricians speak out anonymously against the transing of kids, and our daily cancellation students at the University of Virginia want all mention of their school's founder erased. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. I want to talk to you about American financing, America's home for home loans, because uh, I really think that you could benefit from one of their 10-minute mortgage reviews. It's a free, no-obligation conversation around your current loan, your other debts, and even buying a new home. You could talk about whatever you want to talk about with your salary-based mortgage consultant because they're focused on you, not on getting a commission. Let them run the numbers for you and see if they can save you up to $1,000 a month. If they can, you can move forward with a new custom loan and start saving more today. American Financing is a family-owned business. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. There's no upfront or hidden fees. It's worth the call to learn more. And oh, look, you can't afford to not call because we're all looking for ways to save money. And this is the way to do it. Call 866-569-4711. Uh, call them right now and start saving money immediately. That, again, is 866-569-4711. Or you can simply visit AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. In April of last year, Dan Frankel, a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, sat down for an interview with Dr. Gerald Montano, who's the medical director of the Gender and Sexuality Development Program at UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. He's also the assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. So that's his whole resume, quite extensive. Um, and it was a 20-minute discussion that covered a wide range of questions, all related to the sort of gender-affirming care offered to children at the hospital. Now, oddly enough, uh, the video was posted to YouTube last year on the Pennsylvania House of Representatives YouTube channel, but then it was unlisted. And when you unlist a video, it means that it won't pop up during a, a search on the site, which means that nobody will see it unless they go directly to your channel and if your channel is the Pennsylvania House of Representatives channel, that means, well, nobody will see it at all. And uh, nobody did until I found it yesterday and posted it to Twitter. Now, the video is, is relevant uh, this week, especially as the media and the left run around pulling their hair out, accusing conservatives like myself and many others of harassing and inciting violence against gender clinics and children's hospitals by, they say, making up stories about children being medically transitioned. This is all something that we're making up. It's, uh, it's invented, it's false, it's misinformation. And yet, up until these establishments started getting public blowback about all these procedures, they were quite open and upfront about what they were doing. As you can hear in this video, um, Dr. Montano lays out in detail how children begin to socially transition, quote unquote, at five, and then medically transition at 10, followed by, in some cases, surgery, before they turn 18. Listen. What does gender-affirming care look like for a five-year-old and then maybe for a 10-year-old? That's another good question. So for a five-year-old, there is no medical intervention for a five-year-old because none is necessary. 
what we do for a five-year-old is that we refer them to a therapist to help them explore their gender identity and to make them feel comfortable with how they feel about themselves. Now, for a 10-year-old, that really depends on where they are in puberty, because for some people, especially those who are assigned female at birth, they might start having signs of puberty, and then there is discussion on whether or not pubertal blockers may be warranted for that individual, because they can become really distressed if they're starting to develop secondary sex characteristics that really distresses them. So it really depends on where they are in puberty at 10 years old. When would hormone therapy tend to be introduced, and how do we know that that's safe? So another good question. So according to the Endocrine Society guidelines for working with transsexual individuals, they recommend that the age is 16. There's a lot of discussion about surgical options. Um, uh, When does that become part of the discussion And do all trans people seek surgery? Another good question. And so for, depending on the type of surgery, but for the vast majority of surgeries, they are not done until the youth is 18 years old. The only exception is top surgery, in which sometimes that is done earlier. And again, that is a intensely personal decision uh, between the child, the family, and the doctor and the surgeon and the mental health provider. Uh, to see if that is the right path towards them. An intensely personal decision whether the child is going to have her breast chopped off. He's actually, he's still not telling the full truth there. He says the only exception when it comes to surgeries on minors is uh, top surgery, so-called top surgery. That's not true. They're, they do all kinds of other surgeries um, on, on kids as well. But even if it was just top surgery, that would certainly be bad enough. Now, we can expect that the video I just played there will be promptly deleted just as gender clinics and children's hospitals around the country are right now, this week, frantically deleting all of the material that they had once proudly published advertising their treatment of children, including extremely young children. Here's another likely uh, soon-to-be-deleted video. This from the director of the Yale Pediatric Gender Program extolling her program's benefits for children as young as three years old, in her case. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I am the director of the Yale Gender Program, which is an interdisciplinary program working with gender-expansive individuals, 3 to 25, and their families. We um, help individuals who are questioning their gender identity or who identify as transgender or non-binary. We help them with their gender journey, um, thinking through that, thinking through the risks and the benefits of uh, medical intervention, uh, starting medical intervention, um, and also building supports around them. And I love what I do, so it's really, really wonderful to, to be working in this field and to be working with individuals who are gender diverse and gaining their support and helping them on their gender journeys. Now, What can be said in defense of this lunacy? Apparently nothing at all, which is why the media has, again, leapt into action this week, not not to defend the practice, but to call for critics of the practice to be silenced on the grounds that we're engaging in harassment and incitement. This is what Christopher Ruffo, uh, I think, aptly calls discourse engineering, and we're seeing it play out, we've seen it play out many times, but perhaps uh, rarely as starkly and blatantly as it has this week. And it always follows the same basic path, right? The left engages in some kind of outrageous, sickening behavior. Uh, They get away with it for a long time, right? 
And, uh, but they keep pushing the envelope, and eventually they go too far, and people notice, and then a public backlash follows. And, uh, but then the media comes along and ignores the actual reason for the backlash, completely sidesteps the criticisms that the critics are actually making, and instead cries about harassment and incitement, and calls on more powerful institutions like big tech to deplatform and silence the critics. And usually they get their way. It was announced last night that the Libs of TikTok account on Facebook has now been suspended, seemingly on a permanent basis. Now, the ostensible reason is that the account ran afoul of community standards because of its posts about the Boston Children's Hospital child mutilation program. But all that Libs of TikTok did, did, of course, is simply point out what BCH was doing and criticize them for it. There has been, once again, no effort to engage with the criticism. It is easier simply to silence them. Now the pressure is falling on Twitter to follow suit and ban anyone who criticizes or even talks about the drugging and mutilating of children. Yesterday, Media Matters tweeted this. uh, The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh falsely accused Boston Children's Hospital of putting, quote, every toddler who's ever been born on a path to sterilization and butchery before they can even talk. Two days later, the hospital staff was deluged by violent threats. Now, there's obviously a not at all subtle attempt here to draw a a direct connection between my monologue that I gave on the show a couple days ago and the supposed violent threats against the Children's Hospital. Never mind that Media Matters actually misquotes me, which you can hear if you listen to the clip that they themselves posted and provided. Let's listen to that. Today on the Matt Walsh Show, children's hospitals around the country are butchering, mutilating, and sterilizing their young patients. According to Boston Children's Hospital, literally every toddler who has ever been born or will ever be born is trans. Now, if it seems like they're casting the widest imaginable net in order to catch the most children they can and put them all on a path to sterilization and butchery before they can even talk, well, that's because that's exactly what these monsters are doing. And they've done it up until this moment without much resistance from the public. But that has to end. We have to stop making it so easy on them. And that's why I'm in the very early stages of trying to organize a national coordinated effort to fight back against this evil. Now, it's really just a matter of where do we begin? Maybe we begin at Boston Children's Hospital. Boston Children's Hospital says its staff is being threatened and harassed now after far-right activists on social media posted misinformation claiming they perform gender-affirming hysterectomy procedures on young girls. The hospital says it's not true. They do not perform those procedures for anyone under the age of 18. Boston Children's Hospital says it is proud, though, to be home to the first pediatric and adolescent transgender health program in the United States. The hospital, though, now is working with law enforcement to try to better protect its staff in the face of these lies. Lies, yeah. Uh, Once again, the obfuscation. Well, we don't do that. We don't do that procedure. Yeah, but you are taking young girls and you're chopping their breasts off. That's what you're doing. And you're chemically castrating kids. That's what you're doing. No, we don't remove their, we don't remove uh, their uteruses. We just cut their breasts off and sterilize them. That's all we do. That's all we're doing to kids. No big deal. Now, Media Matters quotes me as saying that um, Boston Children's is putting every toddler who's ever been born on a path to sterilization and butchery before they can even talk. In reality, I said that Boston Children's is casting a wide net, catching as many children as they can, 
and putting them all on a path to sterilization and butchery. The difference in those two claims should be obvious. Uh, they're not doing it to literally every child on earth, as much as they might want to, I don't know. But they're doing it to as many kids as they can, which is true. Media Matters has to lie about what I said because they can't argue against or deny what I actually said. They can only demand that I be punished for saying it. This has also been the strategy of Brianna Wu, who is the, uh, you know, the, the Gamergate chick, and she was on a, a tear. She's been on a tear for the past 24 hours demanding that I be deplatformed on the grounds of incitement. This morning she ranted, Matt Walsh is going to get someone killed. Twitter should suspend him for inciting violence. If you want evidence, just look at my mentions from, from him yesterday. These are the same violent nutjobs that murdered George Tiller for providing abortions. A show on Twitter doesn't phase me, but calls for violence and dehumanizing healthcare workers is a different story. This is screaming fire in a crowded theater, and Twitter shouldn't facilitate it. Someone is going to get killed. Now, I never called for violence, obviously. There's a reason why, uh, among all the claims that I've called for violence and others have called for violence, no one's quoted us calling for violence. Did you hear that in the Media Matters clip? Did I tell anyone to go do anything violent? Of course not. She's also lying. You know, all these people can do is lie because, again, they, they absolutely cannot engage with the point. They cannot defend the practices that I and so many others are criticizing. I went back and forth with Brianna for a while, um, asking her if she could actually offer some sort of defense or justification for giving double mastectomies to teen girls, chemically castrating prepubescent boys. She couldn't defend it. And instead kept repeating like some kind of incantation that I'm committing incitement. No, it's, a, it's actually, I am speaking out against violence. I'm speaking out against the violence being done to children. People like Brianna Wu and Media Matters and all the rest of them on the left are defending violence against children and trying to silence anyone who speaks out against it. But you know, if criticism is incitement, then it must be said that Brianna Wu is inciting violence against me. Media Matters is the most guilty of this. Media Matters is certainly guilty of incitement. In fact, Media Matters has been attacking me relentlessly for years. They've been attacking everyone here at The Daily Wire for years. They're obsessed with us. They want to date us. They either want to date us or they want us killed, or both maybe. You never know what these freaks. They are guilty of harassment and incitement by their own logic. And, and of course, in their case, it's, it's, there's, there's actually much more of an argument to really be made for that. Because they're lying about us. They're lying about what we're saying. And they're going around claiming that, uh, that we are, you know, a, a physical threat. So by their logic, then they are guilty of incitement. But what we know, of course, is that the incitement charge is only ever made to silence the opposition. And that, obviously, is what this is all about. Now let's get to our five headlines. You've heard me talk a lot on this show about how important it is to get your kids away from the public school system and mainstream kids' content 
that's because Marxism, socialism, critical race theory, trans ideology, all of that stuff is out there. The left is pushing a persistent and loud attack on the truth, and they're starting with your kids. There are a lot of ways you can protect your kids from these not-so-secret leftist agendas. You can homeschool. You can get them involved in a religious community. You can give them the right books to read, like my best-selling children's book, Johnny the Walrus, at johnnythewalrus.com. But one of the easiest and simplest ways to protect your children is to take five minutes tonight to write a will with epic will. A will gives you the power to say who will raise your kids should something happen to you and your spouse. It can, in certain cases, be the only legal defense standing between your kids and the persistent indoctrination attempts from the left. If you don't have a will, you're allowing the state to decide everything. Who gets to raise your kids? Who gets your money? Everything. And they can hit your family with a massive fee for administering on your behalf. Don't let that happen. Go to Epic Will. Epic Will is an online will platform that costs less than your next trip to the store. They can set you up with a will in as little as five minutes, starting at just $119. Plus, you can save 10% when you go to epicwill.com and use code Walsh. Take five minutes tonight to write a will, ensuring that your kids will be raised the way you've intended in the event that something happens to you. Go to epicwill.com and use my code Walsh today. All right. I actually want to start with this um, just because it's, it's kind of fun. Yesterday, we showed some, some images, uh, still images, posted by Congressman Thomas Massey of an IRS recruitment session. And uh, you can see how the IRS is you know, recruiting a bunch of agents to use lethal force against people who claim too many deductions on their tax returns or whatever. But the problem for the agency is that the recruits are about as physically impressive as like a JV badminton squad, with all respect to badminton. Um, so Massey had photos from the recruitment, but but today we have the actual video footage of this recruitment session, which is even better. So let's go ahead and um, let's go. Let's, let's watch some of this as they're recruiting the. Okay, so they're busting into the place because someone didn't claim four hundred ninety-two dollars worth of. Uh, sales on Etsy on their taxes or something. Sir, sir, you counted a dinner at Red Lobster as a business expense. Sir, we're taking you in. Okay, the BMI index going on here. Oh, this guy's trying to talk himself out of it. They're not having any of it though. You know what, just, I, just shoot the guy. Just shoot him. He sold a coffee table on eBay and didn't claim it on his taxes. Just take him out. And this guy over here, look at this guy here. Okay, they're taking him in. They've got like five people with guns pointed at his back. Who, who is this guy, John Wick? Did John Wick make some suspicious deductions? All right, so there we go. That's what the IRS is, is doing. You know, the thing is, I said yesterday, half-joking, that uh, this should make us feel a little bit better. We can turn it off. This should make us feel a little bit better about the 87,000 agents that they're, that they're hiring, especially because, you know, as I said yesterday, if they come to your house with guns, they're, they're probably going to end up just shooting each other by accident. But at the same time, um, the fact that the, the tyrants are this physically unimpressive is, is even more demoralizing in a certain way. It's somehow even more psychologically demoralizing. That in our, you know, in our country today, 
the, the, the petty tyrants running the country are just, are, are, it's like this, the most unimpressive, mediocre people imaginable are the tyrants ruling over us, which in some ways is even worse. You, you would almost prefer if they were a bunch of like Navy SEALs types. All right. Um, this is from NBC. So I'm just going to read the report. Um, an update on the monkeypox outbreak, which may or may not come as a surprise to you. It's from NBC. It says, since the outset of the global monkeypox outbreak in May, public health and infectious disease experts have told the public that the virus is largely transmitting through sk- transmitted through skin-to-skin contact, in particular during sex between men. Now, however, an expanding cadre of experts has come to believe that sex between men itself both anal as well as oral intercourse, is likely the main driver of global monkeypox transmission. The skin contact that comes with sex, these experts say, is probably much less of a risk factor. In recent weeks, a growing body of scientific evidence, including a trio of studies published in peer-reviewed journals, as well as reports from national, regional, and global health authorities, has suggested that that, uh, experts may have framed monkeypox's typical transmission route precisely backward. Reconceiving the primary risk factors for transmission is crucial because of how it may affect guidance on reducing the risk of infection, including the question of whether demanding that people with the virus self-isolate has any substantial impact on transmission. So now they're finally, months later, they're finally admitting that, oh, you know what, this is actually basically an STD. This is a sexually transmitted disease. After claiming for months that it wasn't. That, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost all gay men getting this, and, uh, and it, it tends to be transmitted at orgies and that sort of thing. Um, and it's, you know, gay men who have uh, 14 different sexual partners over the course of a weekend. They're the ones who are contracting this. But it's not an STD. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with gay sex at all. It's just, it's, it's really skin-to-skin contact. That's what they told us. And now, as NBC is admitting, well, that's precisely backwards. And as always, they, they want to get away with this um, by saying, well, we didn't know before. So we're just learning as we go along. Well, no, but you did know before. You knew before because I knew. Okay, I'm not a public health expert. I'm not a doctor. I knew because I just have common sense. We all knew. If, if we can see that this is a disease that is spreading almost entirely in the gay community and that it spreads almost entirely among men who are having sex with each other, Pretty good indication that this is a sexually transmitted infection. Never made any sense to say, well, no, it's just skin to skin. And, you know, well, okay, well, if, if that's what it is, then why, then it's, then why is it only transmitting among gay men? What about straight people who have sex? There's skin to skin contact involved there too. And what about other environments where there's a lot of close quarter physical contact? What about people going to concerts or, you know, in any kind of really uh, crowded venue where they're brushing up against each other? If it has nothing to do with sex, then you should see monkeypox outbreaks happening in all those kinds of environments. But you never did because it was obvious from the beginning that this is a sexually transmitted disease among gay people, which now they finally tell us because they have to. They have no choice. But. This does put a little bit of a different light on uh, 
some other recent monkeypox-related stories, like this one, for example, from The Hill. You remember this? It says a medical journal has published evidence of the first suspected case of human-to-pet transmission of the monkeypox virus. A dog living with two men in France who were infected with the virus began exhibiting symptoms 12 days after they did. The four-year-old male Italian greyhound, which had no previous medical disorders, tested positive after showing symptoms such as lesions and postules on its abdomen. Now, at the time, the two uh, gay men, apparently, who somehow passed monkeypox onto their dog, they said that it was because they were co-sleeping with the dog. They had the dog in bed. But now the public health authorities are telling us that uh, just skin-to-skin, or in this case, skin-to-fur contact, that's not enough. It is primarily through... I don't know. I mean, how do we connect these dots? Do I need to spell it out? It's primarily through sexual contact that this thing is spread, and these two guys gave it to their dog. Hmm. And even more horrifying than that, actually, is uh, the stories we've also seen of children who are living with adults that have monkeypox and then end up getting monkeypox themselves. Yeah, I mean, if we lived in a country that cared at all about kids, CPS would be breaking into those homes right away and carting those kids out uh, because this is clear evidence of uh, horrible things happening in those homes. All right, let's go here. This is uh, former president, former vice president, rather, Mike Pence, who does have ambitions of being president one day, spoke out yesterday at an event about the anti-FBI sentiments on the right. And he, what he says is that, hey, we've, as, as conservatives, we've criticized the defund the police movement. Well, Penn says, let's not replace that with defund the FBI because that's just as wrongheaded. Uh, let's listen to him make that argument. I also want to remind my fellow Republicans, we can hold the attorney general accountable for the decision that he made without attacking rank and file law enforcement personnel at the FBI. The Republican Party is the party of law and order. Our party stands with the men and women who serve on the thin blue line at the federal and state and local level. And these attacks on the FBI must stop. Calls to defund the FBI are just as wrong as calls to defund the police. The truth of the matter is, we need to get to the bottom of what happened. We need to let the facts play out. But more than anything else, the American people need to be reassured in the integrity of our justice system and the very appearance of a recurrence of politics playing a role in decisions that the Justice Department demands transparency as never before. And I will continue to call on the Attorney General and the Justice Department to make that information available to the American people and do so now. Uh, I totally agree with what Mike Pence said at the end of his statement there, where he says that we need to be reassured in the integrity of the justice system. That, certainly, we do need. 
Um, because when you have a society that has completely lost faith in the justice system, completely lost any faith that, 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 there, that there is a system in place for enacting and exacting justice, well, then you have the collapse of uh, society. So this is, a, this is a critical importance to reassure the American people about the integrity of the justice system. Well, how do you do that? You do that by taking these kinds of agencies and disassembling them. I mean, ripping them down, ripping them apart. Um, right down to the, you know, right down to the foundations. And then rebuilding. So that's the difference. The reason why people are talking about defunding the FBI, overhauling the FBI, abolishing the FBI, however you want to put it, whatever, whatever, whatever the, the, the exact demand is, the reason for that is that the corruption in these institutions goes all the way down to the bottom and the top. I mean, it's, it's pervasive. That's how deep the rot is. And you're not going to get, you're not going to address the problem by just sort of circling around the perimeter of it. You can't work around the edges. You know, people have, there's no faith in the FBI as an institution. That's the point. And there shouldn't be. The FBI is a corrupt institution. And that's the thing that Mike Pence doesn't seem to understand. And a lot of other Republicans don't understand. But the Republicans that don't understand this are not going to have much of a future in politics because most conservatives do understand this. And we want to be represented by Republicans who understand it. Take the corruption seriously. All the talk we heard about draining the swamp and all of that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, we need that. that's great, but we need it to actually happen now. And draining a swamp is a drastic move. But that's what's necessary. Because these institutions are corrupt to their core. Um, and that should be our concern, much more than protecting the feelings of the rank-and-file FBI. You know the other difference, too, between the FBI and, and like local law enforcement? Um, it's pretty clear to any reasonable person that we need local law enforcement. Like in a, in a, in a community, you need to have local cops. So that, that's pretty clear. And if there are problems with the local police, like there is down in Uvalde, Texas, there are obviously serious, there are serious corruption and problems with the local police there. And that needs to be addressed and taken seriously. But what you can't do is just get rid of the cops. You can't do that. It doesn't, you can't do it. Because then anarchy ensues. That's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's law enforcement. And if you don't have any mechanism to enforce the law, then the law might not exist. And uh, if you don't have law, then you don't have, you don't have a society. It's certainly not a civilized one. So that, that's the, the, the first and foremost reason why defund the police was always an insane idea. Because you need the police. And despite what you're told about from, from the left, you, you cannot replace cops with social workers, replace them with therapists. What about the FBI, though? Do we need the FBI? 
at this point? That, at the very least, is an open question. Okay? The FBI has to fundamentally justify its own existence to us to begin with. There are so many federal law enforcement agencies. There are so many federal agencies and then, and then departments within agencies that have given themselves the power to enforce laws, to use deadly force. I mean, as we just reviewed, even the IRS now is a criminal investigations division. They're sending people out with guns. So while the necessity of local law enforcement is clear to any thinking person, when we look at the federal government and their law enforcement agencies and how there are just like dozens of them overlapping each other, I think now we can look at that and say, well, how many of these do we actually need? What are all you people doing? Hey, the criminal enforcement division, the criminal investigation division of the IRS, what are you doing that isn't already done by these other federal agencies? Why do we need you? Um, that's an open question. That's a good question. And it's very clear that at least some of them we don't need at all and should just be abolished. You know, we don't need 75 different federal agencies running around with guns fighting the bad guys. All right, let's go to this. Here's a story from the Daily Mail. It's from several days ago that, uh, that somehow we haven't talked about yet. And I want to mention it because, of course, it's very relevant to the news this week. It says, pediatricians across America are at war with their own professional body over controversial puberty-blocking drugs routinely handed to teens wanting to change gender. The top child health experts accuse the American Academy of Pediatrics of pushing the harmful drugs on transgender-identifying youngsters, according to damning leaked documents. Disturbingly, the documents also reveal experts believe that the, a a the APP, um, or that's actually the AAP, is deliberately silencing internal criticism by blocking moves for a crucial policy review. The papers leaked by a whistleblower expose how rank-and-file AAP members across the U.S., are slamming the Academy's shoddy drugs and hormones first approach to trans-identifying teens. They insist um, that uh, many would benefit from counseling or therapy instead. Oh, you think? And urge the professional body to follow a more cautious approach currently being adopted by similar bodies in other countries. Fast-tracking adolescents into powerful drug cocktails takes a huge toll on young bodies and can lead to sterility and osteoporosis, uh, osteoporosis according to critics. For many teams, transitioning is celebrated, but others regret the treatment and seek reversals. The AAP, for its part, says that its guidelines to reinforce the gender a youth selects, including through drugs, cross-sex hormones, and eventually surgery, are evidence-based and that it's open to collaborative conversations on policy. But angry AAP members say the Academy changed its rules to block a member-drafted resolution to launch a policy review. Um, and by the way, just a side note here, the AP says that its guidelines are evidence-based. That's completely false. There's really no evidence to support any of this stuff. And that actually was in, you know, I kind of whittled down the, the, the clip that we played of Dr. Montano that we played at the, at the, the start of the show. Um, that's, like I said, it's a 20-minute interview, and it's worth going to YouTube to, until it's taken down, until they delete it. It's probably already deleted, but if you can watch the whole thing, you should do that. Uh, because there's another interesting point in that interview when he's asked about sort of the, the, like long-term studies um, related to, 
you know, giving kids these kinds of drugs, puberty blockers, and then comparing that to kids who have gender dysphoria but are not given the drugs. And like long term, if you compare the two groups, uh, what do the studies say? And he admits in the interview that, well, that there aren't any studies. We don't have any studies on that. Which, of course, we don't because we've never been doing this to kids before. Certainly not on this scale or anything close to this scale. So, no, there's no evidence. There, there are no long-term studies to, to, to uh, validate or vindicate or most of the things that we're doing here or any of them. So evidence-based is a total lie. Now, the reason why the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, has adopted this approach and endorsed it, the reason why it's all politics, it's all ideology all the way down. They are told by WPATH, which is the big transgender health association in the world, and WPATH just tells everyone what the uh, guidelines are for dealing with trans kids, and then all of the other medical institutions and organizations dutifully follow suit without questioning it, without asking any questions or anything. And as we see here from these whistleblowers, if anyone within the organizations does ask questions or, or raise concerns or raise any red flags, um, they're silenced. As the Daily Mail says, angry AAP members say the Academy changed its rules to block a member-drafted resolution to launch a policy review. It led to the review being sidelined at the Academy's leadership conference, which ended in Chicago on Monday. Instead, members took the unusual step of airing their concerns in the comments section for a separate resolution in the AAP's member-only website. In the comments leaked to DailyMail.com, AAP members said the Academy was endorsing great harm that its care package for trans-identifying teens was based on scant and shoddy evidence, and that doling out drugs and hormones was unsafe and unsustainable. One pediatrician wrote, Before promulgating gender-affirming care with all of its ethical complications, irreversible body, bodily changes, sterility, etc., don't we want to be sure that this is the best path? Another member said that there was no good long-term outcome data for those who undergo the arduous physical process of transitioning, and pointed to the 37,000 members of an online forum for regretful detransitioners, as they are known. Now, it's good that these uh, um, whistleblowers are coming out and, and, and criticizing. But it's not nearly enough. Okay, okay, to do it anonymously is not nearly enough. And I, and I understand you know, if you're a pediatrician and you come out against the AAP publicly and you do so on the trans stuff, uh, you know, you're putting your career on the line. Career you've worked hard for, spent a lot of time in school, spent a lot of money on the student loans. To put that on the line, that, that, takes, uh, that takes a lot of courage. There's no understating the amount of courage it takes to put your entire career on the line. But that is what's required. Okay, so if you're a pediatrician, and I hear from pediatricians all the time, actually. Again, never wanting to go on the record, but they'll message me privately and say, hey, I agree with everything you say on this stuff. Keep saying it. So I know that there are some listening to me right now, and what I want to say to you is that it is not good enough to be anonymous. You have a responsibility to speak up publicly and put your name on it. And if you want to do that and you want a platform, if you're, if you're ready and willing 
to come out publicly and speak out against this stuff, especially if you're a member of the A, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, and you're ready to do the right thing with your name on it, then reach out to me. I'll make sure that your concerns are heard. Because when you voice them anonymously on message boards and in comment sections, and you send private emails to conservative podcasters, that doesn't do anything. I mean, you're the first line of defense. You're the people that we need. Because I can, I can sit here all day and forever, which I will, speaking out against this stuff. But what I'm always going to run into is the claim, that, oh, you're not a doctor. You're not an expert. Which, of course, is irrelevant. You don't need to be a doctor or an expert to know that you shouldn't mutilate and, chill, and, and castrate children. All you need is common sense and a soul, which is something sorely lacking on the left, which explains how we got here. But whether it should or not, the, uh, the expertise and all that, it, 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 it does matter to people. So it would be, be a lot more powerful. I mean, there should be press conferences with whole groups of pediatricians speaking out against this, answering questions, explaining their position, talking about what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and until that happens, this isn't going to get any better. All right, one other thing I got to, this is just a, really sort of a, a, on a health note. This is from CNN. It says, early in the pandemic, people couldn't get enough pizza. Now, not so much. Papa John's sales are still up, but growth is slowing. In the second quarter, sales at its North American restaurants, open at least a year, uh, grew just under 1%. And what that has led to at uh, Papa John's is that they're, they're getting a little bit more creative, trying to figure out how to get people to buy pizza again. So to get people excited about pizza again, Papa John's is offering a new spin on the classic with Papa Bowls that are all topping, no crust. A Papa Bowl comes in three varieties. Maybe we'll get a picture up on the screen to show you so you can see these monstrosities. Garden veggie, chicken Alfredo, and Italian meats trio. And so what they're selling now, to summarize, is just, they figured, like, no one wants to buy their pizza. And so they say, oh, you don't want our pizza. We'll just put all of our toppings in a bowl and slather some sauce on it. And will you, will, you, will you guys eat that? Will you shovel this into your mouths? The only reason I mention this story, again, it's really a public health warning. Okay, this is like a PSA. Do not eat a dish of pizza toppings from a place like Papa John's. Just don't do it. Trust me. I've worked at these kinds of pizza places. I've never worked at Papa John's specifically, but I've worked at the pizza chain places. They're all basically the same. And uh, I can tell you, that these toppings, they're not even real food. They're, they're made of essentially styrofoam. They come in these big plastic bags and uh, they sit out at room temperature for like days at a time. And if they drop on the ground, they're swept up in a dustbin and just like dumped right back into the container. I've seen it happen. And now they want to put it all in a bowl and have you shove it, shovel it into your mouth. Don't do it. Is it just me also, by the way, and, and maybe this is my imagination, but are, is pizza getting worse? Am I losing my taste for it or is it getting worse? Because it seems like all these, these, these chain places, Domino's and Papa John's in particular, the, the quality of the pizza. It wasn't great back when I worked at these places, but it, it seems to be getting worse. That's a crisis we should be looking into. Let's get to our comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard, hey. 
Nobody likes to spend money on their cars. You know, you buy it, you drive it, you want it to run forever, maintenance-free. Unfortunately, that's just not the way things work. Snap out of it, get back into reality. Cars require upkeep, okay? The same way your house requires upkeep. The good news is that you can maintain your car for less when you shop for auto parts at rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're also reliably low for everybody. That's the best part. RockAuto.com has been in the auto parts business for 20 years, family-owned. Their goal is to make auto parts available and affordable to keep you safe on the road. They not only have the auto parts you need, but they will give you a selection of trusted brands to choose from. The RockAuto.com catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts you'll ever need rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and get brakes, shocks, carpets, wipers, headlights, everything you need at rockauto.com. And be sure to write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that I sent you. NKFD says, Matt, got to make your sweet baby gang a stochastic terrorist t-shirt. You're right. I don't know how we didn't think of that. We do need. I think we need that. We got to get that on there. Or at least maybe maybe that's a badge. We could put that in a patch program when you become a terrorist. Um, Meat Lover says, I wish the DW had someone that was more knowledgeable on guns and focused more on them, since there are things that go on in the gun world that isn't covered by the DW, like a lot of the stupid things that uh, the ATF does. I think we cover the gun, the gun issues pretty, pretty well. Um, but you're right, it is, a, it, it is a, an important issue. You know, there, there are... Uh, I, I think among conservatives, it's like we can't we can't focus on every issue. You know, you can't give special focus to every issue, and different different conservatives have different things that they're especially focused on. And for me, it's always been culture, family. You know, those are the issues that I care the most about. Which isn't to say that the other issues don't matter. I just think that culture issues are foundational. Um. Don't be woke says Matt hasn't dressed like a lumberjack in a while. Does his new office have a dress code? Uh, no, I've just been told. In fact, the way it's been phrased to me is I need to start dressing like an adult. And so this is my this is my version of that. I don't know how long it's going to last. I said I'd try it out. I'll try classing it up a little bit for a little while, and we'll see how long it lasts. But I'm not making any promises. Suicide Production says, I initially thought stochastic was a blending of the words stoic and sarcastic, which would exactly define Matt Walsh. Well, that kind of terrorist I am. That I would admit. Mark says, hi, Matt. You often talk about fighting fire with fire, and I respect that. My question is, where do you draw the line with the left? Will you always give them a dose of their own medicine? Is there any tactic the left uses that you will not use? I love this question, and I, I took some time to think about it. It is a good question. Um, and I, and I do believe in general that we shouldn't be squeamish and kind of handicap ourselves by refusing to fight fire with fire or use their own tactics against them. But does that apply across the board? Is there, is there anything in general that they will do um, against their opposition that I would not do against them? And, uh, and actually, the, an the answer is yes. There's one thing. There is, there is one tactic that the left uses all the time that I will not use, even if it means I'm 
you know, tying one hand behind my back, essentially, in the fight. And that is, I won't lie. That's the one thing I won't do. Um, I will aggressively confront them on any subject. And I'm not going to be squeamish about it, but I'm not going to just make things up. I'm not going to lie. Like they do. Like they do against me, against they, like they do against all of their enemies. And the reason I won't lie is that, well, look, first of all, it's just, it's not ultimately, I don't think it's a good strategy. And putting, putting the ethical and moral question aside for a moment, it's just, it's not a good strategy. You weaken your case when you, when you lie. It's also not necessary. Like, I don't need to tell lies about them. I, like, all, all I need to do is, is say what they're actually doing and point out what they're actually saying. Um, but, but also it is uh, ob- objectively Im- immoral. And it lessens you, you know, as a person when you resort to defamation, slander, and all those kinds of things. So while they're doing that to me, especially this week, as I've talked about on the show, like it's, I, I've, of course, they've, they've always done this, but this week in particular, they've gone, it's gone into hyperdrive. They're fabricating screenshots of things I never said. They're photoshopping. They're doing all of this. And um, that I will not do in return. But again, no need to either. You know, I don't need to invent horrifying things that they've said or supported. The, the truth is all I really need. You know, whenever I get into a spat with somebody on Twitter over something that I supposedly tweeted, it's usually because they didn't actually read what I wrote. Reading is a lost art on Twitter, but that's not the case on Daily Wire Plus. Ben Shapiro's book club is back tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on dailywireplus.com. This month's book club is John's uh, John Steinbeck's epic East of Eden. You can tune in to hear Ben discuss the novel and share his notes with you as well. you got to be an all-access member to join in on the fun. So what you got to do first is go to dailywireplus.com to become a member today and join Ben tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. A few months after the Washington Post featured an editorial written by a George Washington University student urging that the university be renamed, the editorial board for the University of Virginia has now taken up a similar cause at their own school. The editors of the student newspaper, which is called the Cavalier Daily, published an op-ed this week calling for UVA to do more in the name of inclusivity and equity. Specifically, they want the memory of Thomas Jefferson, the school's founder, to be finally and totally erased once and for all. All mentions of him and references to him must be destroyed, they insist. Reading out from the article, they say, we reject how the university's physical environment, one that glorifies racist slaveholders and eugenicists with statues and buildings named in their honor, upholds an enduring culture of white supremacy. There's a reason why Charlottesville's Local Ku Klux Klan chapter hosted its inauguration ceremony at Jefferson's Monticello tomb. There's a reason why white supremacists gathered with torches around Jefferson's statue on the north side of the rotunda. There's a reason why they felt comfortable marching through grounds. Our physical environment, from statues to buildings, uh, building named uh, to Jefferson's overwhelming presence, exalts people who held the same beliefs as the repugnant white supremacists in the attendance at the Unite the Right, Right rally. These buildings must be renamed and the memorials must be removed. But, you know, as always, this is not enough because nothing ever is. The editors continue making demands, and here's what they say next. It's our belief that future education about Charlottesville and university history should be two things, mandatory and continuous. 
all students should be required to learn about Charlottesville and the university's racist roots and more recent history, including the Unite the Right rally. Educating students on these topics should continue over the course of their four years at the university. Historically, the university has contributed to displacement, erasure, and discrimination of Charlottesville communities, especially its black residents. Individual students and alumni replicate this harm too. Jason Kessler and Richard Spencer, white supremacists and organizers of the deadly Unite the Right rally, are both alumni. The university also educated Paul McIntyre, the namesake of the McIntyre School of Commerce, McIntyre Department of Art, and McIntyre Amphitheater, who funded the construction of the Robert E. Lee and Thomas Stonewall Jackson statues. And of course, these two statues were the same whose pending removal played a significant role in inciting the Unite the Right rally itself. We cannot ignore the reality that the university has always played a significant role in the lives of Charlottesville residents. Now, we learned something important here, if we hadn't learned it already. The left is not, as they're often accused, setting out to simply erase history. Now, if you're not playing, paying close enough attention, if you're only ever reading the first paragraph but not going on to the second, uh, you, you may come to the erroneous conclusion that they want to wipe away all traces of our history and just kind of live as though the world came into being last Wednesday. It may seem, on first cursory glance, that they seek to live in some sort of time warp, in some kind of void where there is no past, no future, just an eternal now. If that's all they were trying to do, it would be bad enough. Because human societies throughout history have always, until ours, cherished their connection to the past. In ancient cultures, this often took the, play, took the form of actual ancestor worship. Far from trying to erase their ancestors, they would venerate their ancestors as, as deities. Now, this was a primitive approach based on superstition, not a system that I would advocate a return to, but it was at least grounded in the innate human understanding that our past is important and our ancestors have much to teach us if only we are humble enough to listen. The ancestor worshipers had more wisdom, at least, than the pretentious pampered college students who, rather than making deities of their ancestors, instead make demons of them. And that's the important point. You know, that, that they're not actually erasing the past. Or at least they're not merely erasing it. They are rather replacing it. Yes, they want all mention of Thomas Jefferson, the man who founded the institution that they're paying thousands of dollars to attend. They want all that removed from view. Uh, speaking of the ancient past, these spoiled, worthless brats see themselves as emperors or Egyptian pharaohs, kind of waving their hands and demanding that their physical environment be rearranged to their liking, even if it means demolishing monuments and statues that have stood since long before they were born. But in the void that they create, they install something else. They want a new story of our history to be told, and they want that story to be one of shame and guilt. They don't want us to forget our ancestors, far from it. They want us to revile them, hate them, dwell on their shortcomings, whether real or imagined. They want to pay tens of thousands of dollars to the University of Virginia only so that they can spend four years learning how awful the University of Virginia is and what an evil scoundrel was the man who founded it. They want the story of Jefferson's myriad achievements, his enduring and positive contributions to our nation and to human civilization, his greatness. They want all that to be silenced. They want all those pages ripped out of the book. But they want his sins to remain because that's all they want to focus on or learn about. That's the only reason they want Jefferson remembered or indeed anyone else in history remembered. Why? Well, 
partially, you know, it's, it's just virtue signaling. Um, partially, they're just abiding by the demands of their ideology without thinking much about it. Uh, they've been indoctrinated with a simple equation, which is old white guy equals evil. And they're merely applying that formula here. These are extremely shallow and stupid people, and their stupidity and shallowness are factors that cannot be overlooked when analyzing their behavior. Because whatever else you might say about somebody who can't appreciate the greatness of a man like Thomas Jefferson, you must also say that such a person is incredibly dumb. And and the fact that our nation is giving birth to so many of these drooling dimwits is a matter of grave significance. But it's not just stupidity driving this. These people prowling around, casually calling for the removal of monuments, the renaming of buildings, etc., they're not only brain-dead simpletons, they're also insecure narcissists. And if I were to attempt to psychologically profile these people, I would say that aside from their neurological deficits, which are significant, and even aside from their ideological commitments, the number one factor driving their war on our history, I think, is their own feeling of inadequacy and mediocrity. Whatever else they achieve by writing off the great men and women of history as nothing but evil scumbags, they principally succeed in making themselves feel better about themselves. And wherever the left is concerned, what we always have to understand is whatever they are doing, always, 100% of the time, the primary motivation is because it makes them feel better about themselves. They never do anything or say anything if it doesn't make them feel better about themselves. That is the number one motivation, always, always. And in this case, it's a clever trick in some ways. Under normal circumstances, you know, a person determined to be greater than Thomas Jefferson or George Washington would have their work cut out for them. It it would be very difficult to climb to higher heights than the summit that those men reached. Unless, of course, you cut them down. In which case, you can stand taller than them simply by standing in place. They have all at once elevated themselves, made themselves greater in their own minds anyway, by denigrating and desecrating everyone who came before them. They achieve for themselves a totally unearned sense of superiority and even accomplishment by erasing the accomplishments of men far greater than themselves. It is, in C.S. Lewis's phrase, chronological snobbery, but in the extreme. They believe themselves to be better than all who came before them simply because they're living today, as opposed to having lived in the past. Self-delusion and narcissism. Those are the things you always find buried underneath wherever these people are concerned, which is why they are today canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show. We head over to our members-only section, and we'll see you over there. And uh, if not, we'll see you tomorrow. Godspeed.